Welcome back to the Me Sweet Podcast. I'm Donna Peters. Let's get in there. On this episode of the Me Sweet, I'm doing my very first Where Are They Now check in with a very special guest, Shubber Ali. If you're an avid Me Sweet listener, you may remember his name and his episode back from March 13th, 2020. And I have brought him back today to talk about a journey that he has taken to be living at the intersection of what he loves to do, what he is good at, what the world needs, and what you can get paid to do. Shubber Ali, after years in a variety of innovation areas in software, in consulting, as an entrepreneur, and as an educator, he is now the CEO of Garden for Wildlife. Garden for Wildlife is the for-profit arm of the National Wildlife Federation. And how amazing, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, to be interviewing Shubber a day before Earth Day. Let's welcome Shubber Ali to the Me Suite. Thank you, Donna. It is a pleasure, as always, to speak with you. So, Shubber, you still are the only person that I know whose LinkedIn profile starts with father and husband. Really? Yes. So you're... I haven't started a movement yet. No, well, that's one way to look at it. Yes, I hadn't thought about <laughs> it that way. You're not making a big enough difference. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but I've always been impressed by that way before it was cool to do so. Your profile has always led that way. It still leads that way when it could have been so easy for you to change it and say CEO. Yeah, you know, um, I I think maybe having uh, started a number of companies and also having worked with many executives over time, I've lost that uh, sense of the title matters so much. And uh-huh. what actually what's interesting, uh, and there was an article recently, I think in the Wall Street Journal about this, that it's a very American thing to start by asking people, what do you do? Mm. Because you want to classify them versus who are you? Like mm. what what makes you a person? And I think we lose that a lot in the process of that. So for me, I want to start with who I am and uh, and connect with people that way. And and if you think about lots of other cultures, I mean, I remember when I was in business school and when we took our foreign market development classes back then, of course, I'm dating myself, you know, international business and all the rest that was still kind of this new different thing. And so you had to learn about different markets you wanted to work in. And the, the Japanese culture was very much about you. You don't start doing business with somebody until you've actually built a relationship with right. them. And then the trust is there and all the stuff that goes with that. And so I think that this is just mm-hmm. a small piece of, of that. Yeah. Well, I usually force my guests to start with their core values, but you've already done this exercise. So I'm going to remind <laughs> you of what you oh, said dear. your core values were back in March 13, 2020. And let's check in on those two. Uh, before we go into um, how how you have landed at this uh, wonderful sweet spot in your life. So your core values, there were three. It was the only thing of value is our time. Mm -hmm. Don't care what others think and never stop asking questions. So how do you feel about those three years later? I feel very strongly that those are all still the same ones, but Mm -hmm. I've had a fourth one. Okay. And I, I suppose it's it's a it's a corollary to the first one because time is the only thing we have of value. And so, even for your listeners, thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, but uh, and I mean that as all seriousness. Yeah, but yeah. what I will say is, what are you spending your time on, right? And that's why I'm so excited about what I'm doing now because it's actually uh, it's it's that sense of purpose. I'm doing something where I feel like I'm making an impact, not just for myself, but for my kids, for the planet, for the environment, for the, for the you know, wildlife. 
And to me, that this is like the ultimate intersection of everything I believe in. Yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. So tell us, what is it? What is Garden for Wildlife that you now are the CEO of? Yeah, so it's an interesting story. And um, it's a, a long version and a short version. The short version first, which is um, that Garden for Wildlife is a company that we just spun out of the National Wildlife Federation. They are still our primary owner, but we have also investors coming in now. It's a for-profit company focused on making it easier for people to actually get native plants for where they live. Mm. Um, and the importance here is that like, if you go to Home Depot or Lowe's or any one of the big garden centers in these places out there, primarily what you see are these really showy plants that are pretty, they're annuals, um, but they're mostly invasive species from other parts of the world. Mm. And I'll get to the long version of the story in a moment, but what, what that means is it's actually not helpful and it's actually harmful to wildlife in a number of different ways Mm -hmm. and people don't like myself i've been gardening for 20 years i had not known that until i came across the the science behind what actually matters and that's where i got involved with the national wildlife federation three and a half years ago Mm -hmm. and um did a pro bono project for them which led to the creation of this business okay wow so your advisory was part of them even forming this for-profit business years back yeah, and, and if fair? it doesn't succeed, they'll probably blame me. But no, um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, in fact, it was. So it, what's uh, interesting, and this, this maybe this gets to the, the, the bigger topic that you know mm-hmm. we'll be talking about, which is that this is really all the different threads of my life. And anybody who's seen my LinkedIn profile will see that I've done lots of different things. I call it confetti. Um, yes, it, it kind of is that, right? <laughs> it's, it's that or it's, uh, as my, my mom would say, why can't you hold a job? But it's really more of the... <laughs> Uh, I'm always learning different things and taking from different places. And this job, this what I'm doing now as vocation, is actually the intersection of all those things being brought together. Mm-hmm. It starts with, uh, shortly after I graduated from business school back in 94, I actually became a supporter of the National Wildlife Federation. I still have my membership card up there on oh. the shelf Okay, uh, that you know, started in 94. And I've always just been a supporter because I've believed in, in trying to help wildlife and the environment. And back then it was you know sending in $20 a year, so it's not like, yeah. you know, a, a needle mover. But over time, I've learned more and more about the environment out there and, um, you know, the, the the impact we've been having on it in different ways. Um, and then when we moved to Maryland, which was the summer before the pandemic, so right before we spoke last time on the, on the podcast, uh, we moved to a house that has a very large lawn. And I'm not a huge fan of big lawns. Mm. So I was thinking, let me go out and put lots of gardens in and flowers and things like I've always been doing for decades. And uh, I... I Happened to have just read a fantastic book, which I recommend to everybody, and I've given away probably 30 copies mm. of it in the last six months since I took on this role, by Doug Tallamy, who's a professor at uh, University of Delaware. And the book was called Nature's Best Hope. And okay. it came out shortly before uh, I had moved here. So I read the book, and it completely changed my worldview about gardening and uh, native species and the environment. And more importantly, it made me aware of something that I had noticed, but I didn't understand the connection. And the connection is very simple, which is why have all the birds disappeared and why are things like the monarchs and the native bumblebees and others disappearing as mm. well? And the reason why is because over the last 250 years, we have systematically stripped out native plants across the country and put in these sterile lawns, yeah. which is primarily what we do, but then also putting in all these invasive plants from everywhere. And the connection is actually a really simple one. Uh, so uh, National Wildlife Federation's research has shown, I think uh, it was on the order of about $3 billion nesting pairs of songbirds have disappeared in the last few decades. Mm. Three billion, right? The reason why they're disappearing is, sorry, and I'll add one more piece. And I put out bird feeders for years thinking I was helping. Right. And I was, 
but I wasn't. Okay. And this is the trick. Just like when you put those plants in your garden from the garden centers, they do provide pollen to the butterflies and, mm-hmm. the, and the bees and the rest. Absolutely. But they don't provide what's necessary for the young. Mm. And this is where the connection broke. So birds can feed bird feeders, adult birds. Mm-hmm. But to feed their young, they need to give them things like caterpillars and worms mm. and stuff like that. So to give you a simple trivia question here, Uh-oh. how many caterpillars do you think a single nest of chickadees from the time they hatch to the time they leave the nest, mm-hmm. one nest, how many caterpillars do you think they eat? And that's a small bird. Yeah, and there's just a few in the nest. Yeah. Um, well, the way you've teed it up, I feel like I need to say something like a thousand. That's a great guess, and you're still off. It's between six and nine thousand caterpillars. Wow. Okay. Right? Now, this is where the problem comes in. Those caterpillars are the offspring of things like the pollinators, yeah. like the butterflies, and the moths, etc. Many of them have evolved because they're native and they evolved with this, the plants around them to feed off of certain plants. And they can't feed off of the plants from other parts of the world. Mm. So the monarch is the most extreme example. Everybody knows the monarch mm. and how it's in danger, and it is endangered. And so, and so it's like, go plant milkweed. Well, by the way, you have to plant the right milkweed. There's actually different kinds of milkweed for different parts <laughs> of the world. Mm-hmm. If you put the wrong one in, it doesn't actually help them. But if you... They're the most extreme example because their caterpillars can only feed on one kind of plant, milkweed. Okay. When they're adults, the adult monarch can feed off of asters and other plants as well because it's get, just getting pollen. Mm-hmm. But the caterpillar has to feed off milkweed. So the same problem. Now, if the caterpillars are disappearing, the food mm-hmm. source for the baby birds disappears. Yeah. So then less baby birds, which means less adult birds later on, and then the cycle continues. Yeah. And so we've broken a fundamental component of how nature works around us. The great thing is it's easily solved. Mm. all you have to do is go and put plants that are native to your area back in your yard. It doesn't mean get rid of your whole lawn. Mm -hmm. You can take a small section of it and put those in. So that's the aha moment that I had way back at the the beginning when I read this book. And so then I started looking for native plants. So bringing this back to how did this happen? So I started looking for native plants. And what I found was after going into the local, in our case, at Lowe's, because they're right down the street, and picking up one plant after another and then having to research where does it go, you know, Mm -hmm. come from, I found they don't have any native plants. Wow. And then the more I started looking, the more I found it was really hard to find them. And so about the same time, I had reached out to uh, a good friend of mine now, and I said, I want to go do some pro bono consulting work. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing some consulting work with various not-for-profits to help them. So in after doing the workshops, we came up with this concept for a business that was a an e-commerce business that would make it easier for them to actually find plants and have them delivered directly to your doorstep which right in time for the pandemic was critical, right? Mm. Because people couldn't go into stores. Right. And so we worked with them to, to build this program. Um, and then uh, it, was, it was part of a bigger journey to help educate people and ultimately get many, many more certified habitats as well. But it started yeah. with, let's make it easy for people to find native plants. And because National Wildlife Federation has this amazing database called the Native Plant Finder, which you can go look up for free, uh, you punch in your zip code and it shows you all the native trees, plants, shrubs for your specific location. Mm-hmm. This platform is built on that. So when you're shopping at Garden for Wildlife, you type in your zip code and you only see flowers and plants and shrubs that are native to where you are. Okay. Which takes the, the guesswork out, which yeah. is the hard part. It's the friction of information to find the stuff. Mm-hmm. So he said, with the National Wildlife Federation and its millions of members, you have an opportunity to do something fundamentally different, to break in orthodoxy, as you know, I like to say which is 
to go and capture a portion of this native plant industry market Mm -hmm. and create like a real business. But you can't do that inside of your not-for-profit because you're not set up to do that. You're not structured for it. Mm -hmm. It could actually possibly run afoul of like not-for-profit 501c3 rules Mm -hmm. uh, because you'd be making lots of money. But we think you should spin it out as a company that you own. Mm -hmm. And then you can bring in external investors because no one's going to invest in not-for-profit, but they will invest in a for-profit company to scale it. And they approached me and said, would you be willing to be the CEO? I'm like, are you kidding? Of course, I would love to be the CEO. (laughs) Because this is, to me, the perfect intersection of, again, those those three initial values. Like, what am I spending my time on? Here, I'm doing something that actually has a measurable difference. I I can see it in my own yard. You know, it's, I I don't need, I didn't need to go and go become an L2 or L1. I didn't need to do any of this. I don't care about that. I still don't care about that. What I care about is what my family thinks what I think and the impact that we're making. And then what I get to do, what I love about my job is I get to keep looking at questions. How do we change things about how people landscape, how people garden, how people, how companies do it. You know, we're creating brand new partnerships in places no one had ever thought of because it starts with just saying, why not? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the long winded answer to it. And now I'm in this amazing role with a great team, you know, spread throughout the country and, uh, and just doing fantastic work. Yeah. How much of this did you believe happened? Because you had some intention and you were putting energy out into the universe to make it so versus right place, right time. I have always believed, you know, you just invest in things. Some of them will pay off and some of them won't, right? Mm-hmm. Like anything else. Like even planting seeds, some of them germinate, some of them don't. Yeah. Um, hopefully more than, than not. But I have, you know, mentored people for years just because I was lucky and I had great mentors mm-hmm. when I was earlier in my career. And I still do. So I think it's kind of a pay it forward. One of the things that to me was this make your own luck. I don't like to call it luck. I like find opportunities, but don't do it because you're looking for a specific outcome. Do it because mm. you're interested in the thing you're doing. I was just mentoring somebody on this last week and I said, look, how do you get to working? In, in her case, um, she was interested in, in being involved with environmental group in Africa or in Asia and wanted to eventually get into a board role. And I said, well, don't go there looking for a board seat. Go there looking for how can I help? Uh, and what you will find is as you build the relationships, just as I was saying before about building trust and all that, you will ultimately create the opportunities in front of you. This uh, happened pretty much my entire career. Almost every job I've ever had was actually not because I applied for it, but because somebody I was working with from the other side of the transom mm-hmm. said, hey, why don't you come over here? Yeah. And so that's exactly what happened with this case again. And I think that that's actually how you make your own luck. Find the place you have interest and then just get involved in some way. And mm-hmm. and then the opportunities will pop up all the time. It's like the old you know expression, you know, opportunity may knock once, but it walks past your door all the time. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you mentioned the word orthodoxies a moment ago. You've always been famous. Mm-hmm. You, you are famous in the field <laughs> of innovation and breaking orthodoxies. Are you still working on a book on the topic of orthodoxies? It is It is halfway done. Okay. Um, all of a sudden, less than six months ago, this job just came out of left field, and wow. it has been all-consuming. So I have managed to open the computer a few times and write another few thousand words. My goal is still to have it done this summer. Uh, so I want to dwell on orthodoxies for just a moment. In yeah. some ways, you've broken an orthodoxy in the intersection that you're living in right now. I mentioned before of what you love to do, what you're good at, what you can get paid for and what the world needs. You're breaking an orthodoxy by doing that because a lot of people 
have the career to meet the financial needs of their life, and then they do other things outside of work to scratch that other itch. But you seem Mm -hmm. to have brought those things together, which I will call breaking an orthodoxy. How would we be more like Shubber? To be more like me, uh, I'm actually going to steal a quote from somebody else. It's a great story that I just Mm -hmm. reheard recently. And and so I was actually talking to my kids about it yesterday. But there's a story I'm sure you heard of John Lennon when he was five years old taking the test. And um, the teacher, the question was, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm -hmm. And his answer was happy. Uh-huh. And the teacher, and the teacher said, "You don't understand the question." And his response was, "You don't understand life, right?" <laughs> Which is, I think, it is a really uh-huh. powerful. And, and people can dismiss that as cliche or, "Oh, that's that's uh-huh. cute." And all that. I actually think it's true because yeah. one of the things that I found is I see a lot of people who are very well off. If you mm-hmm. look at it from a financial yeah. metric, who are miserable, yeah. right? They are not happy at all, right? Mm-hmm. You should, on the whole, be doing things that you care about and that matter to you and make you feel fulfilled and in flow, right? Mm-hmm. To use uh, the term. And so that starts with saying, what do I really need? Mm-hmm. And what is my target? And especially as soon as you hit that, then you should like just close that door and open a different one and say, okay, what do I actually want to do with the time I have left? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there's so many cliche expressions, right? You can't take it with you, you can't do that. So I'd say just find something and throw yourself into it a bit. Now, Clearly, different people are in different circumstances, have different mm-hmm. obligations and the rest. But it starts by being willing to say, what can I do right now? For me, it was doing some pro bono consulting. Yeah. Three and a half years ago, if you said to me, hey, do you want to be CEO of this thing? You know, I'm, I didn't even know what it was. Mm-hmm. But you, you create that opportunity, right? And you create those things to do. But it starts by saying, what do I care about? And let me get a little more involved in that. It can be volunteering at the local shelter. It could be doing, you know, working for, um, doing pro bono work for a not-for-profit. There are countless not-for-profits out there that need help. Yeah. And your listeners all have skills. Yeah. How do you help? Mm-hmm. Right. So what is your sweetener for us, Shubber? We are going to, I'm going to have my marketing team set this up, but for all the listeners of this podcast, we're going to set up a discount code that will be me sweet, and you can send that out in the notes as well mm-hmm. for people to get plants that they can put in the yard. Because I'll tell you, it's really interesting. Um, if you put in even just one small pack of plants, you know, like a six pack of plants, which only is, if you think of your lawn, is like a six by four foot area that you're taking out of it. So a very small area, a place mm-hmm. that you can have sunny or partly sunny, we do all kinds. You will notice in the first year that some wildlife comes back. The first year we planted the, the actual the right kind of milkweed, we had monarch caterpillars in our front yard. Wow. And it was amazing. I've never seen one in person in yeah. my life. We had like seven of them on the on the little milkweeds out there. Wow. The next year, those plants will come back bigger because the thing about perennials is that they they kind of, the phrase, they sleep, creep, and leap. Uh-huh. And so in year two, they're bigger. By year three, they're full size, which could be like three or four feet tall, depending on the plants mm-hmm. you get. But get the ones that fit your layout. Mm-hmm. But you will see songbirds coming back. We have, the, the year we moved here, we had one bluebird, eastern bluebird, beautiful bird. And this year, we just put up birdhouses that my daughter and I made and uh, we put up eight bird houses and the very first day there were eight nesting pairs of bluebirds one by each house and they've all moved in wow it was like a new housing development opening up an open house day and they just <laughs> all these birds showed up and it's just amazing to see mm-hmm. the impact and every day i wake up right now because spring is amazing the windows are open and early in the morning mm-hmm. beautiful song music is coming through and that actually is scientifically proven to make you happy yeah. so go get some plants put them yeah. in 
We'll have a code to make it, uh, give you all a discount for being listeners to, to your great show, Donna. Amazing. And then enjoy, enjoy what comes next. Yeah. It's I love it. Simple. And if a listener doesn't have a yard, uh, think about it as a gifting opportunity, maybe to somebody who does it have a, a yard. Yeah. yeah. You can also put them in containers, um, get a yeah. larger container if you have a patio. Yeah. But, uh, and then I highly recommend if you want to read a book, Doug Calamy's book, Nature's Best Hope, you mm-hmm. will all of a sudden the penny will drop and you'll understand why this is so important and so easy. Yeah. I'm also thinking about uh, community spaces that you also could maybe make a purchase for something and donate it to a community space. Oh, sorry. You just, I, I can't believe I forgot about this. So this is one of the most exciting parts for me about this business, again, in the spirit of, of fulfillment and giving. Mm-hmm. So when I got here, one of the programs we launched is something that we are, we're looking for a name. So if a listener has an idea, oh. unfortunately planted forward is trademarked. So we can't use that, but it's basically planting it forward, which is every time people buy plants from us, we set aside the same number of plants in what's called our plant bank. Okay. And then we do free installations at community gardens, inner city schools, places of worship, places that need pollinator gardens, but couldn't necessarily afford them because the birds and the pollinators don't know what your zip code is and how affluent you are. They just go where they need to go. Okay. And so here we're, we're making it more equitable. It's getting everywhere. We're doing a big installation in Baltimore next month mm-hmm. or beginning of June. I mean, as well as up in Connecticut, um, of, you know, lots and lots of plants because our goal is to give away as many plants as we sell. And so um, that's actually a big part of our, of our program too, because we're taking a page from like Bombus and Warby Parker and Tom shoes of, yeah. you know, you get it, but then other people get it too. Wow. Places that couldn't otherwise get it. So you're having a double impact. Yeah. I love this very much. You're giving me an idea too. So you're going to be hearing from me. This is amazing. Okay, Thank you for the generous offer to the listeners to, uh, to get the plants yep. at a discount and get more involved in this. Shubber, you said make your own luck, but I think we are the real lucky ones here today. Thank you for joining us in the Me Suite. This is Shubber Ali, everybody. Thank you, Donna, and thank you everyone for listening. Until the next topic, this is Donna Peters. Thank you for joining me in the Me Suite. 